Well, you may be seated, and let me invite you to take your copy of God's Word this morning and find Luke's Gospel, chapter number 19. Luke, chapter number 19. Today is, in fact, Palm Sunday, that day that commemorates the beginning of that last week of our Lord Jesus. Those days, those details, those events that led up to his arrest, his crucifixion, ultimately the empty tomb, Holy Week. Palm Sunday is that day in which, in the beginning of the Holy Week, Jesus rode that donkey into Jerusalem, knowing what he would face, knowing all that he would experience, he made his way into that city. I want you and I, as we begin this holy week, as we look to that dark Friday, that silent Saturday, and then, of course, the empty tomb on that first Easter morning, Holy Week, Palm Sunday, today. If you would stand with me in the honor and the reading of God's Word, Luke chapter 19, beginning in verse number 28. The Bible says that when he had said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. And when he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany, at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples saying, go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it, bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. And so those who were sent away found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. And as he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice, praise God, with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. They're quoting, they're singing here, by the way, Psalm 118 that prophecy concerning the Christ, the Messiah, the King of the Jews. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd, they said to him, teacher, rebuke your disciples. But Jesus answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. And when he drew near and he saw the city, he wept over it saying, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, and now they're hidden from your eyes. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. 
as we do every Sunday. Let me encourage you to take out a pencil or a pen, something that you can write with as we think this morning about that triumphal entry. One of the things that I think about as I read again and again the story of that triumphal entry is I think about the crowd. As I think about the multitudes of people that would sit and listen to the teachings of Jesus, that multitude of people that on one or more, uh, more than one occasion that Jesus fed, they heard his teaching, they saw his miracles, and as he's riding into Jerusalem, the Gospels tell us not just Luke, but John's account. We read about that multitude who would put down their coats and they would wave palm branches and they would sing and they would shout, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. And so that multitude of, that multitude of people who would ultimately reject him, at that moment, they chose to worship him, to worship him as their king. It reminds me, though, every time I read that particular passage, it reminds me that you and I, every day, we have the choice of what we're going to worship and who we're going to worship. Well, we all worship something. We all worship someone. So let me ask you this morning. I mean, let me just ask the very first question. What or who have you been worshiping lately? Back in 2005, David Foster Wallace gave the commencement address at Kenyon College in Ohio. Later, his speech was made into a book and sold millions of copies. There's a version of his commencement that is recorded and placed on YouTube and has been watched millions and millions of times. It's an incredible, incredible speech. David Foster Wallace, not a Christian guy, but there's some of what he says that is spot on. Part of what he said is this. Here's something else that's weird but true. In the day-to-day trenches of adult life, there is actually no such thing as atheism. There's no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And the compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God or spiritual type thing to worship is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, If they're where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough. Never feel that you have enough. It's it's the truth. Worship your body and beauty and sexual allure, and you will always feel ugly. Worship power, and you'll just end up feeling weak and afraid, and you will need ever more power over others to numb you to your own fear. Worship your intellect, being seen as smart, and you will end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. But the insidious thing about these forms of worship is not that they're evil or sinful, it's that they're unconscious. They're 
our default settings. Much of what David Foster Wallace said that day, much I agree with. Because the truth of the matter is, worship as human beings is our default. Every single one of us will worship something or someone. So we must ask the question, what am I worshiping today? What is most important to me? What is it that I most value today? I love what he goes on to say in his commencement address. He says this. He says that if you worship anything in this life, it's a dead end and it will disappoint you. He goes on to say in this speech we just read, if it's intellect or beauty or success, whatever it is, if you worship, if you choose to worship worship something in this life, in this world, it will always disappoint and be a dead end. That's one problem. A second problem we actually find in the scriptures. In Psalm 115, it actually says this, those who make them, speaking of idols, those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. There's another passage in Jeremiah chapter number two. Thus says the Lord, what wrong did your fathers find in me that they went far from me and went after worthlessness and became worthless? The scripture gives this warning all throughout the Bible. Not only is if you and I worship anything in this life or on this world that it disappoints and it's a dead end, but here's what the Bible teaches. Whatever you worship, you actually become like. God warns that if you worship an idol, you worship something that is worthless, you yourself become worthless. So in this life, You worship business, you worship success, you read, you study, your mentor, your heroes. If you worship today business and success, you'll become more and more like a Steve Jobs or an Elon Musk. If you worship beauty and fashion and fame, you become more and more like Kim Kardashian. That's scary, isn't it? Here's the truth found in Scripture. You and I become like what we worship. So what I want you and I to see this morning on this Palm Sunday, as we read and study and examine that triumphal entry when Jesus in humility and gentleness rode that donkey into Jerusalem, facing what he knew would be certain death, We see in this picture, I believe, almost of all of Scripture, we see such a beautiful picture of exactly who Jesus is, the core of who Jesus is. And if it's true that you and I, over time, become like what we worship or who we worship, then if you and I would worship Jesus, if he would hold him in the highest esteem, if he would be most valued and most important to us, then maybe as we connect our life to his, his life becomes like ours. So what do we see? Three characteristics in this triumphal entry. Number one, Jesus shows himself to be courageous. 
Jesus shows himself in this account, this Palm Sunday, with an unlimited amount, in my estimation, of courage. In fact, we have to kind of look back a page in Luke chapter 18 when he spoke about his coming to Jerusalem. The Bible says in Luke chapter 18, beginning in verse 31, and taking the 12, he said to them, see, we are going up to Jerusalem and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished for he will be delivered over to the Gentiles. He will be mocked and shamefully treated and even spit upon. Next verse, verse 33, and after flogging him, they will kill him. Here's the question. When Jesus rode that donkey into Jerusalem that day, what was he expecting? What kind of welcome was he anticipating? I'll tell you this. It wasn't warm cookies and hot tea. The Bible says that Jesus knew what was waiting for him. He knew of the arrest He knew of the mockery of trials. He knew of the beatings being spit upon. He knew of the cross. And knowing that, he didn't turn back, but he went straight into Jerusalem. An incredible amount of courage. And what you and I have to remember as we think of Jesus, the very Son of God, is that he was the Son of Man and that he felt pain. When Jesus would warm himself by the fire, he felt the heat. If Jesus put his hands too close to the fire, he would feel the pain of it. Rest assured that every single time that Jesus was ridiculed, every single time he was scorned, he was laughed at, Jesus felt it. And he knew. He knew what was waiting for him. He knew it. And he didn't turn back, but he headed straight to Jerusalem. The courage. If it's true that we become like what we worship, may we worship King Jesus and we connect our life with his so that we could become courageous Christians. If there's ever been a time in our nation in which there ought to be courageous Christians, it's now. I'm going to share with you in the coming weeks more and more of the stories of my time in the Middle East, our partnership with Baghdad Baptist Church in Baghdad, Iraq, my time in Egypt, my time in Lebanon, just meeting with Christians who had been persecuted. There was one pastor that I met with. I asked him how he came to faith in Christ and tell me about his ministry. He pointed across the room. He said, you see that young lady? That's my niece. Her dad, my brother, was killed when she was three years old. Her dad, my brother, was the only Christian in our family. We were all extreme Muslims, but he became a Christian, and he was arrested. And with our father watching, because he did not denounce Jesus, because he continued to be resolved in professing Jesus, our father watched him killed, but not just killed, crucified. And when our father told us 
what our brother had done. And when I saw the courage of my brother, I, at that moment, he said, I became a follower of Jesus Christ. And my whole family became followers of Christ. I'll tell you what I witnessed. I witnessed when there is a price on your head, whether you're 14 years old or 44 years old or 84 years old, I saw this resolve and courage in believers that we so desperately need in this nation. See, there's a spiritual courage that's needed. So often we're afraid to talk about our faith and share our faith because maybe where we're work, maybe we'll lose some friendships. Maybe they'll think of us differently. Maybe they'll treat us differently. And so where we work or maybe on our campuses, we just don't live the Christ life outwardly. We're just afraid. We just be no longer thought of as cool. I'm 55 years old. I've come to this place in my life that is a beautiful time in my life. When you're 55 years old or older, you come to this beautiful realization that you're just no longer cool. It just doesn't matter what you do. You're just too old to be cool. And the older you get, the less you actually care about what other people think about you. I would say this to most all of you in the room today. If you're fearful of people not thinking that you're cool because you confess Christ, you never were cool. There's a, there's a spiritual courage. There's also a relational courage that is needed today in our nation. See, so many people are in dysfunctional relationships. It could be in a marriage. It could be a friendship. It could be some other family dynamic. It's unhealthy. It's dysfunctional. But because of fear, we won't confront or speak the truth. So what that relationship needs in order to become healthy some healing to take place is there needs to be some relational courage that in Christ, regardless, I'm going to speak truth. So I would pray that you and I, in thinking of Palm Sunday, that we would connect our life to the life of King Jesus so that as we worship him, his courage becomes some of our courage. See, what we see in this story is that Jesus shows himself to be courageous, but we also see that Jesus shows himself to be humble. Now, again, we've got to look back prior, but in Luke chapter 19, Jesus makes this announcement that he's going to be going to Jerusalem. And in Luke chapter 9, beginning in verse 51, and when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. Uh, but the people did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? 
But Jesus turned and rebuked them. You see, his disciples, as they're looking for the Christ, as they're looking for the Messiah, they're looking for this one who would be king of the Jews. And what they hoped and what they believed would ultimately the new king and his kingdom would overthrow the Roman Empire. And so that's part of the reason on that Palm Sunday, that multitude of people are waving the palm branches. All hail, Hosanna, King of the Jews. But he wasn't what he or they expected. See, there's a little bit of this historical context that you have to understand. This is Passover. This is the beginning of Passover. The Jews would celebrate Passover every year, this incredible series of holidays and holy days in which they celebrated the Passover, the deliverance from bondage and slavery out of Egypt over into the land of promise. So the Jews every year in Jerusalem saluted, celebrated Passover when they were delivered out under the empire, the authority, the oppression of the Egyptians. The Roman Empire is in control. See, you probably didn't know this, but every year in Jerusalem during Passover, the Roman Empire, watch this, the Roman Empire, their entire military would march through Jerusalem. There would be this military procession, soldiers all garbed up, weapons out, a reminder to the Jews, hey, this may be your Passover in which you're celebrating being released from an oppressive government. You may be thinking the same thing may happen again, but let's remind you who's in control. In fact, during this military processional, Pontius Pilate himself would ride through Jerusalem on his war horse. In direct opposition to that, in direct contrast of that, Jesus rides in on this humble, gentle donkey. You see, the kingdom of Jesus, the way of Jesus is very different than the way of this world. It's very different than the way of this world, the way and the kingdom of Jesus. See, you and I live in a time in which in our culture, there are some who say we need to argue and battle and fight. And some of us, you, me, others, we do that on social media. And we wage this war against culture. And I wanna say to you that all throughout history, It's never worked that way. The gospel and the kingdom of God never advances when there's arguing and fighting and war. It's when we communicate the gospel the way Jesus did it in humility and love. Now, do we stand and speak the truth? Do we say, thus saith the Lord, this is truth, this is God's word? Absolutely. But how we communicate it is not with hostility, not with guilt, not in arguing. That's the way of the world. That's the way of the Roman Empire. The way of Jesus, the kingdom of Jesus, 
is not the way of this world. It is with love and humility. May we so worship Jesus that his courage and his humility become a part of who we are. So we see in this triumphal entry, we see that Jesus shows himself to be courageous. He shows himself to be humble, but he also shows himself, and this is the part that moves me the most, he shows himself to be compassionate. Because it says here in verses 41 and 42, and when he drew near and he saw the city, he wept over it saying, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they're hidden from your eyes. Jesus, the Bible says, is making his way from the Mount of Olives. We have about 50 or 60 people going with us in the fall to the Holy Land, and we'll actually spend some time in the Mount of Olives. And we'll actually make our way down from the Mount of Olives. As the road turns, you actually have a view of the city of Jerusalem. Now, I'm going to show you a picture. This is a a modern photograph, a modern picture of that view from the Mount of Olives down through the city of Jerusalem. But picture in your mind as Jesus is making his way He turns the corner and he sees the city. And the Bible says he weeps because he loves the people. In fact, the Bible indicates this. It's a very strong language in the Greek that his internally, there's a shift. He's moved with compassion and he weeps. I love that the Son of God, the Son of Man, our Christ, the Messiah, I loved, I loved the fact that he allows himself to have compassion, to have emotion. I love those times in Scripture. I love, I love to read when his friend Lazarus died. And Jesus delayed his appearance his arrival on the scene because he knew what he was going to do in raising Lazarus back to life. But when he did arrive on the scene and he saw the grief, he grieved. Knowing what he was going to do, the Lord Jesus himself grieved. And the Bible says he wept. He allowed himself to feel, to have emotion. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 9, Jesus sees a multitude, a crowd of people. And the Bible says he is, again, moved with compassion and he weeps over them. Because he saw that they were helpless and hopeless. Here's what the Bible says, as sheep without a shepherd. May we. May we connect our life to the life of Jesus so that we can once again feel and weep and celebrate. So that we can weep over the lost and we can truly celebrate when the lost are found. 
When was the last time that you wept over a friend or a family member or a coworker that if they were to die this very day would be forever separated from God in a very real place called hell? When was the last time you cared? What we learn is that he showed himself compassionate. But not just emotion, but here's what we see about Jesus. His emotion always moved him to action, always. So here in Luke chapter 9, he sees the city, he sees the people, he loves them, he weeps over them, but that emotion moves him to action because in less than a week, he will offer himself for them, for their sins. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about the fact that the king, a king, would sacrifice himself so that people could join his kingdom? But that's what Jesus did. See, it's not enough to have emotion. It's not enough to have compassion. It's for your emotion to move you to action. The reason we have here at Cottage Hill something we call love where you live. And literally every week of the year, we have volunteers. We have people who give of their time in serving others. They don't just care, but they care enough to actually do something. So I wonder if this week, as you worship Jesus, not only his courage, not only his humility, but his compassion so that it would move you to act, to serve, to invite, to share. What is worship? Worship is simply to have or to hold in high esteem, to be for you the most important, the most valued. See, we all worship something. Or someone. And I challenge you this day and in these days worship the one, the one that is worthy, the king who sacrificed himself so that people could join his kingdom. Worship. If we become like what we worship, May we worship Jesus. Would you bow your head with me for a moment? Our worship team's gonna come. They're gonna lead us in prayer. Our pastors are making their way to the front now. As we do every week, we want to give you the opportunity to respond. We offer what we call here an invitation. It's not really us doing the inviting, it's God who does the inviting. What is he inviting you to do today? It could be for some of you here, it's to cast aside some idols that you have in your life. There are some things that you have been worshiping that will ultimately disappoint you and are dead ends. In fact, if you are worshiping anything in this world, in this life, it's worthless. But there is one we're to worship. And he is, in fact, King. King Jesus. I wonder, have you ever done that? 
Have you ever just laid aside your own will, your own ambitions, your own idols? You've put aside even the worship of self. I think so often what we do is we worship self. It's my agenda. It's my happiness. It's what I want. I'm going to do things my way. Some of you have been worshiping self. The most important person to you in your life is you. That's what's most valued. That's what's most important. So there are some of you here in this room, there are some that are watching online, and what you need to do is cast aside you. Stop worshiping you. The beautiful thing about this act of surrender, of bowing the knee, It's an act of surrender. It's an act of humility. You're in charge, I'm not. You're the ultimate authority, I am not. I cannot save myself, you are the Savior. I wonder if there are some watching at home, maybe even in this room, And what you need to do today is to, if you physically can, is to bend that knee and say, Lord, I'm tired of doing it my way. It's been a dead end. It's been disappointment. And so this day, I confess you to be my Savior and the Lord of my life. I'm going to pray for us. And in these next moments, we're going to give you an opportunity to respond. Pastors are here. The altar is open. How about courage? You need courage, relational courage, spiritual courage. How about the way we treat people? How about with humility for a change and love? How about some compassion? that moves us to action. So Heavenly Father, I pray that in these next moments, those that are watching online, those that are in this room, that you find us obedient to the call, to yield, to surrender, to confess, to turn from our own sinfulness and selfishness and to trust you For some, dear God, today, their hearts have become calloused, cold, hardened. We need the compassion of Jesus, and we need the courage of Jesus. So, Lord, in these moments, as we respond, find us faithful. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand.